Good morning. It all started in the 1600s when there was a group of Catholic priests who began to have a burden for the people of Vietnam. And they decided to go out and try and reach these people and try and convert the Vietnamese people to Catholicism. And they got together and they started talking about the different strategies, different tactics they could use to bring people in. And they tried many, and many of them failed. One of the priests finally decided, well, what if we invite them in and promise to send them home with a bag of rice? So they tried that and found that that got the people's attention. They began to come to the meetings, and they continued to do this for quite some time and even began to see many people convert to the Catholicism uh, religion. The problem was that rice started to run low, and eventually they had none more to give out. And so they told the people that there was no more rice they couldn't send them home with, and they found that as the rice disappeared, the pews went completely empty. Even those who had made a profession of faith, if you can call it that, and made the conversion to uh, Catholicism, they were never seen again. This was not only tried by the Catholic priests, this was tried many times by the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and even in the 1800s, Christian missionaries went into India and Asia and tried this tactic to bring people in. And without a doubt, every time when the rice ran out, the pews went empty. You see, these people were making a profession of faith and converting not out of spiritual conviction, but out of their physical need. They were comfortable calling themselves Christians until it was no longer convenient for them to do so. Uh, in the 1800s, the, the Christian missionaries that tried this tactic even found that these people would come in and they'd pick up some of the Christian terminology. They'd start referring to one another as brother and sister, and they'd do all of the right things say all of the right words, and yet when the rice ran empty, the pews went empty as well. And so the famous term rice Christian came out of this problem. For years and years, I genuinely believed in my heart that I was not one of those people. I was saved. I made a profession of faith at a very young age, and as far as I can remember and as much as I was able to, uh, I've made it my goal to be as, as faithful to this assembly as I, I could be. And I'm not trying to toot my horn here. I'm trying to get, make myself a, a bad example of what not to do. I would come to meeting, uh, both meetings in the mornings on Sunday. I'd return at 6.30 in the evening. Monday, Monday evening would come around and I'd go to Bible study. Tuesday I'd be at brigades. Uh, Wednesday I would try my best to come to a prayer meeting, although that was always the one I was never so faithful at coming to, if I'm being honest. Thursday, for years, I helped out at Awanas. I had nothing going on on Friday, but Saturday night, I would go to Bethel and help out with their youth group. For years, I did this. And yet, I didn't do this out of spiritual conviction, and I, I knew these were things that I ought to do, but I did it for selfish reasons. You see, I wanted people to look at me and say, Nick Weaver, that's a good guy. And I wanted to feel good about myself and who I was. And in a sense, I too was like one of these rice Christians. I would feel comfortable coming to the meetings, I'd do all the right things, I'd say all the right words, and yet my motivation for doing so was wrong. And I think perhaps there are quite a few of us here this morning, or perhaps in the church worldwide, that has this issue. They'll come to church knowing that 
it's something that they ought to do every week. And perhaps they'll do it just to check something off of the list. And they'll go home and live the rest of their lives feeling good about themselves because they went to church on one day. For me, it also took place when I was at home. I would read my Bible. You know, we grew up singing Sunday school songs about reading our Bible. You know, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. We ingrain this into our children, knowing that this is what we ought to do. And yet even then, I would do that every day, and my motivation was wrong. It was something that I felt obligated to do, and it wasn't out of spiritual conviction. So how do we go through our Christian lives, coming to meetings, fellowshipping with one another, even reading the Word of God throughout the week without having this in the back of our mind, this obligation to do so. I know I should be doing this, so I'm going to do it, but not because I want to do it, but because I feel like I have to. How are we going to get over that? Please turn with me to Nehemiah in chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to look at a group of people who had come across the same question. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we have a, a generation of Israelites who, uh, for years and years before them, the only examples they had of their parents, their grandparents, and perhaps even their great-grandparents, was a status of rebellion. All the generations prior to them had rejected the Lord completely. They had rejected the Word of God completely. And yet, and, be, and because they had rejected the Word of God, before, because they had rejected the Lord, the Lord allowed them to go into captivity. And here we see a generation of people who, by the permission of the king, have returned to their homeland, and their desire is to rebuild the walls um, of Jerusalem. And so here we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 8, and the walls are completed. The walls are completed. So here we are in, in Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, if I could just read the last half of the very last verse of chapter 7. It says, When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And all the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Urijah, Hilkiah, and Mysiah, and at his left hand Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Mushalam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their faces to the ground and worshipped the Lord. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shebathai, Hodijah, Mysiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and all the Levites helped the people to understand the law. 
and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Let's just pray once more. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do count it a joy and a privilege uh, to be sitting here together, Father, to simply hold your word in our hands. Oh, Father, we're so thankful for your word and the many things that we can learn from it. Father, we do ask that you would help us to, uh, that you would give us ears to hear this morning, God, that you would give us hearts that are receptive to your word. Father, help us to have humble hearts that are receptive to your word, Lord. We ask that you would uh, speak to our hearts, especially mine this morning, Father, and that, that, that no word of the flesh would be spoken, but Father, every word, every thought that is shared would be of your spirit and of your spirit alone. Father, we ask this in your son's name. Amen. So once again, uh, the, the question these people had to face was, was uh, what do we do now? You see, as I mentioned before, they've had generations before them and generations before them who had continually rejected the word of God and had continually lived in rebellion to him. And because of that, they fell into sin, they fell into idolatry, they fell into captivity, and they were punished by the Lord. And they had only this example before them always. And the first thing I want you to see is that in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says they gathered together as one man in the open court. As one man, they had requested that Ezra the scribe bring the book of the law to them to read it to them. As one man. As one man, they came to the same conclusion that they could no longer go on and live their lives the way that their parents and their grandparents had lived before them. Um, Moses, no need to turn there, but in Deuteronomy 31, um, Moses had commanded the people that every seven years the book of the law was to be read out loud to the people. What this ensured was you, you had people continually growing up, you had people perhaps even coming into the nation, and every seven years the book of the law was to be read from cover to cover to ensure that all of the people would understand what they were to do. The problem was that you don't really see that in the history of Israel. You see the instruction to do so, but you never really see the practice of them doing so. And yet here, we see a group of Israelites return to their, to their, to their homeland. After coming out of captivity, they finished the work that was before them, and yet they realized we cannot continue living the way our parents lived. And so they bring the word of God to them. And the first thing I want to point out to you is that they had a thirst for the word of God. They had a thirst for the word of God. Um, just quickly, hold your fingers here and turn with me to Ezra. This is a book to the left of Nehemiah, Ezra chapter 7. We want to kind of look at who Ezra is for a moment. Ezra um, was given the responsibility of returning from captivity and rebuilding or refurnishing the, the, the temple of God. This took place just before the time of Nehemiah. But Ezra 
chapter 7 and verse 9, it says, On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. And this is the mentality that Ezra had as he would return. In verse 10, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances to Israel. That was his desire, but you never see, saw that taking place in the book of Nehemiah, but here we are in Ezra, but here we are in Nehemiah, and he finally has this opportunity. And so the people decide to respond, and they ask Ezra to bring the law. And so here's Ezra, and he begins proclaiming it to them. In verse 2 and 3, um, we see that all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Uh, if you were to look up the word attentive, uh, the, the idea behind that is that they were, they, were, they were listening to every last word. They were digesting it. They were thinking upon it. They were thinking deeply into it. They were attentive to the word of God. And it says, and all the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They had a thirst for the word of God. You see, these people had realized that all that they had been doing prior to that was not working. And they needed to return to the God who had chosen them as his people. They had a thirst for his word, and they were attentive to his word. I wonder, are, are we attentive to the word of God? Are we attentive to the word of God in our quiet times, if we have those even at, at our homes throughout the week? Are we attentive to the word of God, or is it something that we do out of habit? Is it something we do because we, we know we ought to do it? We know it's good to read our Bibles, and I'm not trying to belittle that in any sense, but are we attentive to it? Are we deeply considering every word that is read? Are we thinking upon it and asking ourselves, how in the world does this apply to me? Are we attentive to the word of God? We see that these people were attentive to the word of God. Honestly, uh, throughout the, the past nine months, um, as I was in Lubbock, I was going through the discipleship program out there, and and spiritually speaking, it was the most blessed nine months of my life. But it was also the hardest nine months of my life spiritually. You see, every day we had opportunity to study the Word of God and to read it. We would have class from um, 8.30 to 12. Some days we'd have class from 8.30 to 3. And then we'd go home and we'd have three to four hours of homework to do. And, and it was difficult for me. Not because it was hard, but because I felt obligated to it. And I, I really didn't want to have that obligation. Every day I'd come before the Lord, and as the psalmist would say, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after you, O God. That's the, the response of my heart that I wanted. And yet for nine months, I never won that battle. I would come before the Lord, and I'd pour out my heart to him and say, Lord, I, I want to want to do this. And yet I would drag my feet to my desk, sit down, and force myself to study for hours and hours on end out of obligation, and it's hard. But are we attentive to the word of God? Um, is that not what, what the, the, the Lord's rebuke to the Pharisees was? He would say, these people, they draw near to me with their mouths and, 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 and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. Doing all the right things, perhaps even saying all the right things, and yet their motivation was wrong. It was all focused on themselves. They wanted to make themselves look good and to be glorified by all of the people. And yet the Lord says it's all done in vain. 
Oh, we draw near to him with our lips and with our mouth. We're filled with these big words, and yet it's all in vain because our motivation is wrong. These people were thirsty for the word of God. The next thing I want you to see is that they were teachable before the word of God. They were teachable. In verse 4, I want to point out to you that they were teachable in this section, but there were three things in which they did that made them teachable. The first thing we see is that that they were prepared. They had made all of the right preparations. In verse 4, it says, So Ezra the scribe stood on the platform of wood, which they had made for this purpose. They went through the trouble of building a stage simply for one purpose, so that Ezra could stand on it and read a book. They made all of the preparations necessary. You know, whenever we think of, of building something, we think of running to Lowe's or Home Depot and, and buying some two-by-fours. We think of pulling out our, our saw that we'll use maybe once a year and we'll build maybe something small in our backyard. And that's what we think of an afternoon project. But these people, they'd have to go and they'd have to chop down the trees. They'd have to haul it back. They'd have to do, all, they'd have to do it really all the hard way, all the labor, and yet they made it for one purpose so that Ezra could stand upon it and read it. Why? And as I was reading this, I was asking myself, why in the world would they do this? I mean, Moses didn't command them to do this, but they were preparing themselves not only to hear the word of God, but to receive it and to live it in their life. They're making all the preparations necessary. Um, do we make the preparations necessary in our life? When we come uh, before the word of God throughout the week, are we making sure that our hearts are prepared to not only hear the word of God, but to receive it and to live it out in our life? When we come to meeting on, the morning, on Sunday mornings, do we come making sure our heart is right before God and, and teachable in the sense where we are willing to hear and receive the words that the Lord has for us? Or once again, is it all out of habit? Do we do it out of the motions? And yet these people, they made the preparation necessary to receive the word of God. And and what these people were going to receive was not easy. It was going to hurt. It was going to be very convicting. And as we see later on in this chapter, they were moved to weep and mourn over the things that they were hearing. But that didn't stop them. They made the preparations necessary to receive the word of God and to receive it with joy. The next thing I want you to see is their position before the word of God. They were teachable not only because they made the right preparations, but because of the position that they took. And throughout this section, there's, there's a lot mentioned about their position. We, we mentioned how they built his stage, which would elevate the word of God as Ezra would read it. We see that when Ezra opened the book at the end of verse 5, it says all the people stood up. When Ezra prayed, all of the people had their hands up and said amen and amen and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What I want you to see here is there's a lot mentioned about their position before the word of God. They had a reverence for the word of God. You see, they realized that this was not just any book. They realized this is God's word to his people. And we're going to treat it with the utmost reverence and the utmost respect And they showed it in the position that they took before the word of God, a position of reverence. And I wonder, do we have reverence for the word of God? Do we treat it as if it is the word of God, or do we treat it as if it's just some novel that we pull off the shelf? They had a reverence before the word of God, and they were teachable. 
because of it. The second thing I want you to see is their posi the position that they took before the teachers here. Um, in in verse, verses um, 7 through 8, we see the Israelites and these people beginning to teach them these words, what was being read, what was being read out loud. And these people had a position of humility before these teachers. What do I mean by that? I think so often we'll come to meetings and unfortunately, we all have a list of speakers that we really enjoy to hear. And unfortunately, we, we all have a much bigger list of speakers that we don't enjoy hearing whether it be hard to, to, to connect with them or, or we just don't think they're a great speaker at all. But we all have this list in our minds. And something that I battle, I mean, every week, really, is coming to the pews with the right heart and the right mindset, knowing that it's not the words of a man that's going to speak to me, but it's the word of God. And unfortunately, so often in my life, I will judge a message before the Bible is even opened based on who's going to be speaking that morning. I mean, how often do we look in the pulpit, see whoever's speaking? Nick Weaver's speaking? Oh, my goodness. I mean, what, what, what is this kid going to teach me, right? And, and, and we, 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 judge, we judge the message before the word of God is even given. And I think this is one of the most common ways in which the church hinders this, the work of the Spirit. Because if, if we come to church with that mentality, how much harder is it the Lord, for the Lord to speak to you if your heart is not right before him? They had a, they had a position of humility. Here where the teacher is standing on the stage, and it says, and the people stood in their place. They stood in their place. They had a position of humility, realizing that they weren't aware of the things that were being read, but they realized that in order to receive it, they had to hear it from the words of these men. And they were humble enough to receive it. They were teachable because they made all the right preparations, because they had a position of reverence before the word of God and a position of humility before the teachers. The second thing I want you to see is that they were persistent. The last verse of, the last part of uh, verse 7, we have, you know, I, I made it a goal of mine years ago when I started speaking. I said, Never speak on a passage that has a lot of difficult names. I broke that rule this morning. But at the, at the end of verse 7, it lists all of these names, and it says, And all the Levites helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave this sense and helped them to understand the reading. Uh, history tells us that shortly after the um, captivity of these people, the Aramaic language was beginning to quickly replace the Hebrew language. And they were in captivity for such a long time, you can assume that all of these people who were gathered here at this time were not familiar with the Hebrew language. And yet, they, 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 they did not allow that to, to hinder them. And as the law was being read in this Hebrew language, they were persistent in the fact where they still stood there for hours on end, listening as the priests and all of the leaders had to explain every word from Hebrew into Aramaic. In Lubbock, um, they tried their, their best to teach me Greek. Uh, some of it stuck, but it, it was very difficult to even look at the, the word of, of God in Greek and try and put it in words you can understand in English. 
I mean, it, it, was, it was nearly impossible for me to do so. And, and even when you have all these lexicons, you have these Bible softwares, all of these things, it was still incredibly difficult for me to do it. And, and I remember we, we, would, we would meet for Greek class on, on Thursday nights. And I remember telling Jim McCarthy and, and all of the interns, I said, Thursday night is without a doubt the most discouraging night of the week for me. Uh, I, was, I was the youngest intern there. I had never taken any Greek classes. Most of the guys there had at least taken one course of Greek. They were familiar with it. But I was starting from the ground level low, and, and, I, and I was expected to, to keep up with these guys who had been studying Greek for a little while. And, and let me tell you, it was discouraging. But it was times like that where I had to be persistent before the Word of God. And how often do we look upon the word of God and we see the visions and we see the symbols and we see the big words and, and it's hard for us to understand the word of God because of these things and we use it as an excuse not to read our Bible. We use it as a, an excuse not to study the word of God. And yet these people were persistent. When it got difficult for them to continue on, that's when they buckled down and said, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to listen to what these guys have to say to me. I can't get over how, how difficult that would be uh, just to stand there and listen to these things. But these people were persistent. They were thirsty for the word of God, and they were teachable because of their mentality and the attitude in which they had in approaching the word of God. They were persistent. Are we persistent before the word of God? Um, no doubt it, it is difficult to study the Bible. It, it is difficult for me to even uh, be faithful in my daily readings of the Bible but we need to be persistent. Uh, that's what the Lord desires from us. So we see, we see that um, the people, were, they, they were thirsty for the word of God, and they were teachable because they made all the right preparations, because of the position that they willingly took before the word of God, and because they were persistent. The next thing I want you to see is that their hearts were tender before the word of God. Their hearts were tender. Verse 9 it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and, and all the Levites who taught that day, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. You see, these people were hearing the, the word of God being, being read out loud and, and taught to them, and they realized what, what, what is being said from the word of God is the complete opposite of how I've been living my life, and it moved them to weep. And their hearts were literally broken before God because they realized that they were so far from the God who loved them. When was the last time, dear saints, you literally wept over sin in your life? When was the last time? I was thinking about this earlier in the week. How often do we laugh at jokes that involve sin? How often do we take pleasure in, in watching movies where the whole plot is filled with sin, and yet we take pleasure in it and we laugh about it? For example, our family was, was watching a movie. Uh, it was really a funny movie, but it was terrible. And... Um, the, <laughs> Basically, it's this woman who's having an affair with, 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 her, with her, her once husband who's now married, and yet she gets in a relationship with this other guy, and, and it's presented as, as just something that's kind of funny, and it just happens, and oh, good for her, because she got over it. And there we were, we're watching it, and, and we're, 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 we found ourselves laughing at times. 
And yet it was that very sin that that woman was committing in that movie that nailed my Savior to the cross. And there I was laughing at it. When was the last time you wept before the Lord? They were brokenhearted over their sin. Uh, Do we take our sin serious as they did? You know, I think we, we know enough just to be dangerous. You know, we, we always say things, well, you know, I'm saved by grace through faith. And, and the Lord loves me and, and, and Jesus Christ died for my sin. And yet, we almost use that as an excuse to sin. We use that as an excuse to live in rebellion to him. Their hearts were tender before the word of God. Uh, Turn with me. Actually, I'll just read it to you. In in Isaiah 66 and verse 2, the Lord says, On this man will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Who trembles at my word. Oh, I want to be a man who trembles at the word of God who reads the word of God and, 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 and when it says, don't do this, I don't do it. When the word of God says, do this, I do it. When the word of God says, do this this way, that's how I do it. I want to be a man who trembles at the word of God. And the Lord says he, he takes pleasure in that. He, he looks upon men such as that who, who, who care enough about the relationship with him where they tremble at his word. He says, I will look upon this man. I had a at the galley program, I had a good friend of mine, he's named Grayson, uh, Grayson Price, and um, after the galley program, uh, he went home to Kansas, and uh, there, there were quite a few of the people that went through the program there, and they decided to get together and pray, just pray over the things they heard in those three weeks, and I was told that Grayson, in this prayer meeting, he got up and he said, Lord, I want to be a man who breaks easily. I think so often, uh, men especially, we, we take pride in our strength, whether it be emotional, whether it be physical, and yet we're afraid to break over the things that matter to the heart of God. And Grayson says, Lord, I want to be a man who breaks easily. Oh, I want to be a man who breaks easily over the sin in my life. The very things that, that, that nailed my Savior to the cross and the very things that hinder my relationship with him today, I want to break over those things. I will look upon this man who trembles at my word. Are we people who tremble at his word? So Nehemiah and all the people, they tell them not to weep because this is a day of rejoicing. This is supposed to be a day of of joy for them. And they they tell them to go home and to to eat and to drink and to really rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice in the great things he has done for us. Dear saints, there's a time to rejoice. There's also a time to be brokenhearted over sin. And we praise the Lord that that we don't have to live in grief and shame over our sin. But I fear that we've we've swung to to the opposite extreme where we aren't grieving over it at all. And yet these people, they had a tender heart before the Lord. 
and they were able to go home and rejoice. And we are able to do the same this morning, knowing that our sins were dealt with completely at the cross. There's no need for us to weep. There's no need for us to mourn because a price has been paid, but do we take our sins seriously? These people did. They trembled at his word. Their hearts were tender before the word of God. And it all started in the beginning when they had a thirst for his word, when they were teachable, because they made all the right preparations, because of the position they took, and because they were persistent. Are we responding this way to the word of God? I've talked to, I think, three or four different people since I got home, and I would always ask them just a simple question. Have you been reading these past nine months? Have you been reading much at all? And all of them were honest with me, and they said, you know, no, and it wasn't because I didn't have time. It was just because I didn't have a desire to. I didn't want to. I didn't make it a priority, and that's fine. But it's at moments like this where you have to stop and you have to ask yourself, why is it not a priority to me? Why is it that I'm so comfortable calling myself a Christian, which is, in essence, the very bride of Christ, and yet I do not even care enough to open his word and get to know him more? What kind of husband or wife would you be if you just completely rejected your husband or wife? You just stopped caring. You didn't care to speak to them. And that's exactly how we treat the Lord at times. Do our hearts respond to the word of God this way? Or do we approach it just as, just as the rice Christians did the moment it was inconvenient for them to be called Christians are no longer convenient for them? They never showed up again. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, may we respond to the word of God as these people responded. May we, may we tremble at the word of God. May we respond in this way. Are your hearts teachable? Are your hearts tender before the word of God? Or do you do it all out of habit and all, all out of the emotions or the emotions? Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you uh, this morning Father, I just want to start by confessing for myself that oftentimes my heart is not tender before your word. My heart is not, does not thirst for your word as, as, as these people thirsted for your word. Father, so often I find myself thirsting for the things of this world. Oh, but Father, I want, I want to be a man who trembles at your word, who has a tender and a teachable heart. Oh, Father, help us to be the people that you so desire us to be. Help us to be men who, men and women who, who, who long after, after your word, just as a deer would pant for the water. Oh, Father, may our souls long after you. Oh, Father, we ask you would continue to be with us, continue to speak to us through your, through your word. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.